Michael here with just a quick intro. I wanted to let you know that during the recording, there were a couple times where there was some bleed over from sirens, as well as a train passing by. Um, I tried to cut it out as much as I could without making it sound too weird. Uh, they're pretty short, just a minute or so long or less for each one, but I just want to let you know that they were in there. Thanks, and now on to the show. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and today I brought along a special guest co-host, Craig, who is the designer of Murders and Acquisitions from Nerdburger Games. Craig, welcome to the show. Hey there. So Craig, so anyone who doesn't know, what is Murders and Acquisitions? Uh, Murders and Acquisitions is a tabletop role-playing game of uh, uh, subterfuge, espionage, intrigue, theft, and murder set in sort of an absurd corporate world where everything is a little extra cutthroat over the top. You know, there's a strong sense of irony and tongue-in-cheek absurd humor uh, to the setting where you're, you're literally backstabbing your way to the corner office. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a fun game. It's, it's intended to be kind of a little bit of uh, fantasy wish fulfillment for anybody who's ever worked in an office and, and or even just dealt with the drudgery of, you know, day in, day out, work a day, you know, kind of work, working somewhere that it just kind of never ends, you know. Now, is that a game built off any, like, engine? Is it your own dice mechanic system? How did that come about? Well, I decided to design a game, and like a fool, I decided I'm going to go ahead and design my own system as well. And uh, because I wanted something that kind of fit the mode of the game, and I wanted to challenge myself. And, you know, I, I had written stuff freelance for a number of different game systems. I wanted to design a game system for myself. It's very straightforward. It's, I mean, it's a two-dice system adding together compared to a target number. There's a little bit more robustness to it than that, but that gives you the, the sense of it. It's very straightforward. I mean, you're literally, as far as math goes, you are only ever adding two numbers together. There's, you know, there's not a lot of bonuses and minuses, minus fives and plus twos, and it's, it's very straightforward, very quick, resolves very fast at the table. Very cool. Uh, so today is going to be faculty meeting episode 113, and it's, and it's going to be about hacking and designing, which is one of the reasons why we wanted you on for this show, because we can talk about your experiences doing both of those things. But before we get too far into that, we always like to remind our audience while we're here, uh, we like to talk about RPGs and the general state of games in our lives, and we hope that through these conversations, we can share some of the experience that we've gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Craig, what is that one piece of advice? Oh, I know this one. It's uh, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you play, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. So with that out of the way, uh, Craig, do we have any announcements this morning? Announcements? Uh, I think you can... Let's see. You uh, you mentioned my game. I just thought I could throw it out there that you know if you if you're interested, you can uh, you can pick up the game. You know, I think uh, did you guys you guys have got a couple of copies of the game gonna show up at uh, a catacon? Yes. Yes, you were nice enough to support a catacon with some prizes that will go into our prize pool. So you can get a free copy by coming to a catacon and winning it, or they can purchase it. Right. Yep, you can go to drivethroughrpg.com, uh, com, not con, um, and uh, it's uh, look, you know, search under Nerdburger Games or look for the game Murders and Acquisitions. That's Murders ampersand Acquisitions, and there's actually two variations of the game. There's like the full game that has all these has like five chapters, seventy pages of optional rules that allow you to expand the game, and then there's a, a I've recently put together an eight dollar PDF that is about a half of that which is called Murders and Acquisitions Downsize. It's just the core game of the, you know, the, like the modern day game setting without any of that additional stuff. But both of them are complete games. You can play everything. You've got everything you need to play in one book. As for us, I just want to mention, uh, obviously, a Catacon still going on. Uh, you can now purchase uh, tickets through Eventbrite. They are a little bit more expensive than the Kickstarter, but we still want people to come out and join us. I will be going to Origins this week because I think this episode comes out this coming week. Uh, so I'll be running some panels, playing in some games, hanging out. Please try to find me if you want to say hi. 
And then uh, obviously I'll be going to Gen Con as well, doing some more stuff as there. So please find me on there as well. And I think that's really it for announcements. So, uh, Craig, if people want to get a hold of you, how, how can they do that? Uh, well, you can um, follow me, uh, C Campbell three two nine at um, on Twitter at three at C Campbell three two nine. I've actually just created at Nerdburger Games. It's got like four listener or four followers right now because I finally got around to making a Twitter for it. Um, so you can check out that too. That'll be you know, nothing but work announcements. Whereas the personal account, I sometimes babble about other things too. Um, gotcha. You can and learn all sorts of things about the games and what's going on with me at nerdburgergames.com. All right, fantastic. And if anyone doesn't know, Nerdburger is a podcast as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I was actually a guest on it recently, so that was very nice. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, you can go to uh, nerdburgershow.com for a weekly one-hour uh, kind of a potpourri of nerdy, geeky discussion. We talk about some of the recent news in, in you know, the geek world and then hit on a few other little topics, and it's all slathered over with uh, quite a bit of humor. It's uh, <laughs> It's a it's a it's a funny fun conversation kind of. It was. Podcast. I really enjoyed it. You you asked me to listen to a couple episodes, kind of know what I was getting into, uh, and I enjoyed them. And I enjoyed being on the show. It was a lot of fun. I think if you are true to your word, the episode I was on is titled "Finger Looking Good." Yep. There you go. You, so you can find me there. Yeah, that title came from you <laughs> in, in, while we were talking. Nice. Uh, as for us, you can find us on Twitter at the RPG Academy or my regular co-host Caleb at the Caleb G. Uh, you can also email us at the RPG Academy at gmail.com. We have rpgacademy.com emails, but honestly, I have a hard time checking them. And a lot of times when I send emails back to that one, they get spam filtered because it's just not very common. So going forward, it just makes a lot more sense to basically go to the uh, RPG Academy at gmail.com. Oh, yeah, I actually have one more announcement. This is the one I wanted to say, and I forgot. Uh, we have we basically announced that, that we have been doing for a while commissioned games. Uh, it has been a thing where someone might contact us and then ask us if we would highlight their game on our show, and sometimes we say yes, sometimes we say no. But there is sometimes also, basically, you can hire us to do that. Uh, so we have a fee schedule based off of how many listeners we have and the work we have to put into it. But if anyone out there is listening who is thinking about starting a Kickstarter or otherwise already has a product they would like to highlight, please contact us. Can't guarantee it will help. Can't guarantee we'll say yes, but it is something that we do offer on occasion. And you can also email us at therpgacademy at gmail.com for that. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Making uh, a note for myself for the future? So this is one of the things where, see, I'm terrible at this from the business side. I'm absolutely terrible at this because it's something like, well, I just thought people knew that. You know, I just figured that you people assumed that that is something that we could do. And we've had like, I think, three or four people that have contacted us and we've talked to them back and forth. And then I've I started announcing this like, Three days ago on Twitter, I already have like seven people have emailed me wanting to know if we could do something. So clearly there was an opportunity there that we were not taking advantage of. Well, it's one of those things that, you know, you've, you've grown to the size that you have an audience, you have a reach where now like people go, hmm, this is like, this is worth my time to engage yeah. and maybe throw a few bucks or, or, you know, exchange of goods or services, however it might right. work to, to arrange something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully someone out there listening has the next great game and we can help them make it a reality. But with all of that out of the way, it's time to get into the show proper. The first thing we're going to do is do our normal gamers lexicon. And today our gamers lexicon is one shot, which is when you play one session of a game. Well, Michael, it's a little more complicated than that, right? Well, uh, <laughs> drop some knowledge on me, Craig. Okay. Um, the way I kind of try to think of one shots is... One shot versus a campaign. A campaign is a set, you know, a series of game sessions. It might only be four or five. It might be a year long. It might be one of these things where friends from high school keep playing for their entire adult lives, you know, once a month. Um, where you're in a campaign, you can slowly build arcs, characters develop, things change significantly over time. Char you know, players change characters, characters die, characters come back from the dead, um, depending on the game system, of course. And it, it has a, a, you know, this broader appeal and, and depth that you get out of a campaign that you generally don't get quite the same way with a one-shot. But a one-shot has the, the, the beauty of being a tight little package of story. And ideally, it, in my opinion, the best one-shot games, you know, they start off really strong. They roll through the story very tightly. That's not to say that you don't have funny moments. You don't joke around at the table a little bit. Um, but you make sure you hit the story elements quickly. You, you know, you get to action if there is if that type of thing is part of the game on a regular basis. 
you give everybody at the table their their highlight moment, make sure everybody comes out of the game saying, my character had this moment and did something really cool, and then you end it all with some sort of bang, like some sort of big wrap-up story element. And that's, you know, I, that's good for game days. It gets people interested in the game that you're maybe introducing people to. It's good for conventions because it, it gives people, like at a convention particularly, people are paying money and spending time to play your game. You know, you want to give them, hopefully as the GM, you want to give them a really good experience for that two hour or four hours or whatever. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's worthwhile with just your, your home group if you're just going to try out a game for, you know, try out a new game or maybe the GM that week, you know, isn't available. And so somebody else says, hey, I'm going to run a one shot of blah, blah, blah. And give everybody, you know, give everybody their moment. Give, and if you're doing pre-gen characters, it becomes kind of important, too, to make sure the pre-gens have a good hook. Like something that somebody can sit down, read that pre-gen character and be like, okay, I know exactly what I can do with this and it'll be fun. Um, they don't have to necessarily invent a lot at the table because they don't have the time to do it if things are going to move quickly. Right. So for me, I kind of think of it as um, sort of like, like a serialized TV show is a campaign. Right. And the season off movie is the one shot. So thing like Star Trek is a good example in some ways. Uh, you know, you have the season, you have arcs, you have character development, you have story development. And then when you have that, the Star Trek movies, that is a complete story onto itself. It has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end. And, you know, characters can grow from, from before. And if you know what happened before, it can add a little depth. But the movie should stand on its own. Yes. And a one shot should be able to stand on its own. If you're playing in an existing world that people know about and maybe there's some cross pollinization with famous characters, that's all cool. But you don't have to have any of that. You just need to have a beginning, a middle and an end that is satisfying to the story that you're trying to tell at the table. Yep. And then I also was quickly say for one shots, I've actually I've actually learned about myself. I preferred pre-gen characters. I know some people think that's weird that they <laughs> love making their own characters like that's a huge part of the game. I am totally satisfied just to sit down, someone hand me a character sheet and go, okay, I can play this person, you know, and I might add a little twist to it. Sometimes I ignore like the flaws or ideals or bonds from fifth edition that they gave me, but I'll make up my own, but I can, I have so much fun just handing me a character. And then in that moment, I'll make some decisions and go on. I, I don't really enjoy making characters. Apparently. I don't know. I enjoy making characters um, a fair bit and, you know, and, and for the right types of campaigns, you want to really, you know, put some time into it and invest in it. But I, I definitely do love just sitting down. I mean, I'm, I'm a student of improv. I've taken improv classes. I've performed street theater kind of stuff in the past, you know, just sitting down at the table and saying, okay, I'm going to be playing a new character for four hours. And they, I get a hold of a character sheet and I just get to take this thing and, and run with it and build it and make it, make it my own. That's, that's fun. All right. Well, let's move into our general assembly, which is our main topic for the show. And again, I kind of let at the top, this is going to be about hacking and then designing your own game systems. Uh, you clearly have more experience with this, at least to a professional or to a completion uh, I have done a little bit of it. I, I think I've mentioned this somewhat on the show before, but back in college, I did try to design my own game. And it was built on the fact that I kept changing rules in D&D because I didn't like a certain rule. So I would change it, and then I would change a different rule, and then I would change a different rule. And eventually, I wasn't playing D&D anymore. We were just <laughs> playing the system, which was terrible. It wasn't good at all. You know, looking back on it, I made some terrible design choices, but... I, I have said before that I think anybody who GMs long enough becomes an amateur game designer. We all like to tinker, and whether it's better or not, we like to put our stamp on things. You know, whether it's adding a critical hit table that you design yourself or critical fumbles or how you handle criticals or adding feats or adding a race that you wanted or stealing from another media. Like, I want to have a character that's like this guy from that show, so I got to make my own. Um, so we'll start with you. With Murders and Acquisitions, did it start as a hack of another system and you just kind of realized that it should be better on its own? Or did you sit down and say, nope, I'm going to make a game? Well, I want, to, I want to throw a quick note out there. We could have actually had a different term for the lexicon today because the D&D game that you changed and changed and changed and changed until it was not D&D anymore and kind of disappointing. Um, there's a term for that. It's called a fantasy heartbreaker, <laughs> which uh, if, you've, if you've popped on the Internet enough, you've probably... You know, seen it, and there's enough people that have talked about it where it's yeah, it's it's and it's it's you know where you tinkered with something so much and for and oftentimes for so long, and you become so invested in it, yep. and then it just kind of breaks your heart that it doesn't actually do what you were hoping it would do. Yeah, um, it, it happens. It happens. Everybody's done it. I've done it. Yeah. 
That's fine. As far as mergers and acquisitions goes, um, that uh, I didn't set out to hack anything in particular. I actually, the idea was sparked by a friend of mine who described the uh, the basic conceit of the game more in terms of a board game and, and my being uh, a role-playing game designer and having some freelance credits. I kind of turned it into that. So, uh, you know, the source of it for me was just stealing my buddy's idea. And I actually asked him, I said, do you mind if I run with this? And he said, sure. And, uh, you know, then I just, like I said, I decided to uh, design the system myself, um, primarily to challenge myself because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to keep the system very light. So if I was going to use a different system, and this is something that, you know, you may keep in mind, anybody might keep in mind if you're thinking about designing your own thing too, is like, if you're going to use an existing system, you know, a system that has an open license, Creative Commons, or, or you know, like an OGL or something like that, you got to, you know, think about what that system provides, what it does, how it functions, the gameplay experience it's supposed to, to give everybody, and is that appropriate to the game that you're trying to create? Or do you need your own system? Or do you need to hack an existing system into something, um, you know, and, and modify some things and add some things in order to make it work for the gameplay experience you want to provide with your game. And I wanted to, you know, challenge myself with my own system, but also create one from the ground up so that I could make it completely, I could make it as simple as I wanted it to be with a little bit of complexity when the dice at the table and have it kind of mesh with um, some ideas for the thematic elements of the game itself. Okay. So we've, we've picked a pretty broad topic. Right. Uh, and we could probably talk about this for hours if we, if we wanted to. Yeah, I could. <laughs> uh, but, but we don't have that much time. Yeah. So, uh, so I want to focus, it, we'll start with hacking. Mm-hmm. Sort of like what that is, uh, you know, ways to evaluate whether you're actually adding to the game or you're just making arbitrary changes or you're making a change that really hurts your game. So to start with me, one of the examples, the reason why I started working on my own game, or started with hacking, I should say, I wanted there to be the the ability to have like permanent wounds. There was a specific moment in one of the games I can remember that I uh, I wanted the bad guy to like cut someone's arm off. You know, I wanted Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, and I wanted that to be a moment where the character lost an arm, and then there would be like a part of the story where they had to get like a replacement arm in some way. In my mind, that was a cool thing that could happen. But in D&D at the time, and this actually, I think this was even second edition AD&D, I don't think there was a way to do that beyond DM Fiat, to say, you took a lot of damage, your arm's gone. So I'm like, okay, well, let's add hit locations. You know, and then then I can just use the rules and go up. Oh, I rolled an eighteen. That's your right arm. Oh, did enough damage. Your arm's gone. So I wanted to find a way to to codify what I wanted to have happen that I couldn't have happen, and which is one of the reasons why I hacked that system to start with. So, what with your experiences, was it to try to fix something, or did you think something wasn't working right? So, I guess is it additive? I wanted to add something that wasn't there, or trying to fix something. Do you have any experience with either of those? To an extent, yeah. I mean, I've everybody who's jammed for a while has, like you said, has um, has a- added house rules. And really, a hack is just you know hacking a piece of the game is really just a house rule. It's a it's a cool new way to say it. You know, the way the kids are talking about hacking everything. Um, but that's what you're doing. What you were doing was taking a game that had long been, had this very abstract hit point system, where hit points represent in part physical wounds, in part just get knocked around in part exhaustion in part, just a little bit of luck because you're just more experienced um, or you're just that you have that cool factor of being an adventurer and, and tried to bring something a little more realistic to it. And it's, it's tough to do. And it's in second edition and before it's probably harder because the system at the time was all over the place. We hadn't, Wizards of the Coast had not codified it into the, the the D20 system where everything functioned kind of the same. You know, if you remember second edition, you had sometimes you rolled the D20 and wanted high. Sometimes you rolled the D20 and wanted low. Thieves, thieves were rolling uh, percentile dice for all their skill stuff. Elves um, were rolling D6s to find doors. Yeah. So, you know, working working something like that into a system that isn't clean to begin with, is like that presents a unique challenge. Now, one thing you could have done is just like, you know, you could have just... You could have modded something in there that did what you wanted it to do, and it could have been absolutely anything you wanted it to be. You could have had people rolling this kind of die or that kind of die or rolling two dice because the game system was a hodgepodge to begin with. The tough part now is with more codified systems, if you want to hack something in there, 
people are going to kind of expect it to be more elegant. Right. Like they're going to expect you to fall well within this, what the system is set up as to begin with. Right. You don't want it sticking out like a sore thumb. Like here's the system. It works well. Here's the thing I added that does not match anything in the other, the rest of the system. It's clearly what I added. Yeah. Like in the D20 system nowadays, it's like so much is built off the D20. And then the only time you're rolling other types of dice is if you're dealing with damage or um, well, generally damage, right? And, and little add-on, little add-on rules, like you could have a bonus that allows you to add a D4 to your attack rolls, whatever. Right. Yes. But if you took something, you know, if, if hit location was anything other than a D20, people are going to kind of cock their head and look at it and go, hmm, not, you know, so you'd, you'd, you'd want to hack it in kind of in that way. Now you, you present a unique challenge because again, you're trying to take something very abstract, like hit points and work hit locations um, and, and specific effects in there. And there are, Things out there that have done some of those sorts of things, like there's the you know the crit hit deck for Pathfinder that does some weird stuff that's just card based, like you're flipping cards and, and it's just giving you different determinations. If you crit, you you might be maiming an, a limb or something like that. Um, and then you just have a you, you know at that point you just have an effect tied to it, like well what what does losing an arm mean? If is it literally chopped off? Is there a hit point threshold for chopping the arm off? Is there a lower th- hit point threshold for maiming the arm? Mm-hmm. It's still there, but it's injured to the point of not being able to be used. And how does that actually affect you? Does it affect casters? Well, it depends on which edition of D&D you're in and whether or not you need both hands for somatic casting. Right. You know, it immediately cuts down your weapon choices because two-handed weapons are out, out the window. You know, does it does it affect your character socially in any way? Does, are you suddenly seen as, pardon the phrase, a cripple? And people might pity you and people might give you money. I mean, there's there's good sides and bad sides to like being perceived a certain way in a certain society. It, it, it presents a unique challenge. And, you know, and then one of the things that I think is probably useful for hacking in general is whenever you put that stuff out in front of your players is make them make it clear to them. Everything that I've house ruled or hacked in here, modified, is considered to be under constant playtest. I can change it. If it's too powerful, we'll tweak it back. If it's not doing what it's supposed to do, we'll change it. If it's too yeah. weak, we'll ramp it up. And the players just need to buy into that, that they might have their some cool thing that you provided for them that they might suddenly it might suddenly change on them four sessions later. And I think this in in my mind it goes back to like the whole trust between a player and a DM. Every time I change something, my goal was to make the game better. Clearly that's not what I succeeded at doing most of the time. But it wasn't like I was just trying to make it harder for them or worse for them or more dangerous. I thought this would be fun, so I changed it for that reason. And if it's not fun, then you need to reevaluate, you know, the what you did and, and why you're doing it type of a thing. And kind of getting back into what the definition of hacking is, in my mind, is it can be changing something. So, like, for example, we play D&D now, 5th edition, pretty much by the book. But if you get a critical hit, I don't have them roll damage twice. I say you do max damage and then you roll again. So you're going to, at a minimum, do maximum plus one to a maximum of double damage. It makes t- criticals very dangerous. Uh, and I think it, because there's nothing that I hate worse than getting a critical hit and then rolling two ones. It, oh, just, yeah. it, it pisses me off. I think that's awful because it's like this roller coaster, like, oh my God, this is going to be all. No, it's not. Yeah, I call that the wah wah factor. Yeah. Exactly. Like, so oh, I, I got a crit. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've eliminated that from our games. That, that just does not happen anymore. Because if you get a crit, you are at minimum doing the maximum damage you normally do plus one. But that is a hack where I've changed a rule. If you're in a game that doesn't have critical hits, but you add that in, you're like, okay, there is no critical hit in this game. But if you roll the maximum, you get a critical. So in both of those cases, it's a hack. You're changing a thing or you're adding a thing. Yep. And then the, the kind of the big term I'm hearing now is like, uh, for example, like Star Wars. People really like the Fantasy Flight engine, but some people don't like Star Wars. So they're like, okay, we're going to use that system, but we're going to play it modern. We're going to play Mass Effect. We're going to play a uh, fantasy version. So they're they're hacking the game into a different setting. Or you take an existing setting like, um, like Mass Effect, and you hack a Savage Worlds version of that. So you, you take the game into a different setting, or you take a different setting into your game. Those, that's kind of the spectrum as I understand hacking. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a broad term. Um, and some people will call it house rules if it's just in your own game. And some people will call it modding. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a question of just what you want to do with it. Now, you said you've, you've, you've done the crit thing where you've managed, where you've, you know, you've house ruled that a little bit. You've hacked that into your current game. Um, in previous game systems where you've tried to add something outright, 
you know, you made the comment that the hit location thing didn't really work out. Did you, have you, have you had one that did work out and what, how did that go? I mean, what, what, what did it, what did it bring to the table where, where, or, or where it worked fairly well? Maybe it wasn't perfect, but it worked better. I really cannot think of an example <laughs> that worked better. Maybe equally as bad, but not better. Just, just different. Yeah, you can just, just different in a way. Like I, and, and again, my, my sensibilities as a DM have changed drastically at this point. I wouldn't even want hit locations, but at the time I did. But I, I wanted to add hit locations. Um, I wanted to add uh, a debilitation effect, kind of like what Savage Worlds. Like it didn't make sense to me that if I have a hundred hit points, I'm hundred percent all the way down to have zero. Like I never get worse at doing anything, even though in my mind, my character's getting beat up or in my mind, your character's getting beat up. Right. So I, so I wanted to add some sort of effect that you get debilitated as you take damage. I changed magic from a, a Vancian to a mana point system. Which many people have done. And no, nah, probably not terrible, probably just different enough that, you know, it didn't feel right to you, you know, maybe. That's one of the, that's one of the, the problems that you run into is that if it, it can be different and maybe it's still okay, but it's because it's different. Sometimes people, even the designer will look at it and say, no, nah, that's bad. That's not working. It might have been working just fine. It was just, it was just so different. It, it was so different. And the thing is, I always like to play wizard. So when I did that, it was so that when I got to play, it would be the way I wanted it to, which I never got to play anyways. Ah. Uh, but, but what I found is most cases, unless you're adding a lot of different rules, which I wasn't, mana point systems are more powerful in the fact that they're more flexible. The best example I can give to this, if you ever played the original Final Fantasy Nintendo game, which is still one of my all-time favorite games. I love that game. I play it constantly now. They, they came out with a new version for iOS. It's almost exactly the same game. Graphics are a little bit updated, but they changed it to a mana point system where in the past you had like three level one spells and at later levels you'd have three level one and one level two. And later levels you have five level ones and three level twos and one level three. Now it's all mana point. So I can cast my best spell over and over and over again because I have so many mana points. It, it changed the power curve dramatically if you play the two versions of that game. You can see how more powerful mana points are without other restrictions. You know, in a D&D game where you might say if you cast a spell like this many mana points in a day, there's a chance you'll burn out. Or, you know, if you cast this spell twice in a row, you might you know, suck all your other energy. There, there has to be a way to balance it or it's just more powerful. Well, and it depends on the game. You know, with Final Fantasy, it's you playing the game where you're basically controlling a, a party of adventurers. And so if the wizard type in the group, in that little group, and correct me if I'm speaking, you know, if I talk wrong about this, it's been a long time since I played Final Fantasy. Um, but, you know, it's, it's an individual experience for you. And so if the wizard works a little differently, it works a little differently for everybody and it's you versus the game. Right. I don't have another player going, hey, my fighter's getting outside yeah, by your wizard. You don't have your second edition cleric uh, player sitting there going, what the hell? You know, my cleric has to doesn't have mana points. Or the thief is suddenly like, well, you know, I thought I was versatile with my skill use. And suddenly you, you can grab any spell that duplicates anything that my skills can do. Um, and you're a better thief than me because you've got knock and, and silence and you can do all the thiefy things. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> right. that, that's one of those things that has to be balanced well into the system, which D&D has now since done with the sorcerer versus the wizard. So let, let's move this into, again, I'm going to count you as an expert. Hopefully you will accept that mantle. <laughs> if someone is going to hack a system, whether it be minor things like I add one rule or I change one rule, how do you evaluate that in a way that you understand whether you've made the game better or worse or just different? Before you do it, you need to think about like what the system does, what it's good at, what it doesn't do well, and just and just determine whether or not the thing you're going to change is going to fly in the face of what the system is capable of and what it excels at. If if you if what you're planning to do looks like it'll work fine, then now you can actually kind of evaluate it well after the fact. And so it's uh, as as the designer, it's always difficult to critique your own work. Because you fill in the gaps where there might be problems, where you just, you know, make adjustments in your head as you're looking at it. And you may not, you know, you got to make sure to get that information written down and clear, clearly presented to people. It's, I think it's, it's one of those things that it really needs playtesters. I mean, hacks or brand new game design from the ground up. You need people to play it and tell you what works and what doesn't. Try to find the broken pieces tell you whether or not say, okay, you know, we've got this game that does X, Y, and Z, and now you've interjected Q into there, and it does this thing, and it's okay, 
but it needs to be more like X, Y, and Z just in theme and feel. And, mm-hmm. and, they, and, and ideally you get people that aren't just going to say, you know, it's good or bad that they'll actually provide constructive feedback, maybe, maybe even suggestions, answer, you know, answer your questions, whatever you, you know, however you may pose them. It's, it's, it's trial and error really. And it's, and, and you need feedback for it. And I think going back to my particular situation, which again, I know I've mentioned at some, some points on here before, but I pretty much always played with the same people. You know, when I was in grade school and high school, it was my, my friends at my house, my basement situation. When I went to college, I had some of those same friends went to college with me and we made a couple other friends and it was basically the same group. So when I would tinker with something, we were playing a campaign yesterday, this happened today, something else happens. So almost across the board, almost everyone was against every change I tried to make because they didn't see the reason why we needed to do it. It changed the rules and made it less, you know, uh, concise for them. And it kind of messed up the, the consistency of what was happening. So almost never, I can't, I can't even think of one time where someone's like, oh, that's cool. Let's keep doing that. So I would change it. Everyone would hate it. And then I would pull it back out. So I never really got to play test it. I didn't go to gaming conventions. I didn't go to one shots at game stores. So I had a very poor sample size <laughs> and people who were actively resistant against those changes, which is probably why none of them ever got to work because I never got a chance to develop. It was just whatever I came up with, if it didn't work perfectly, it was out the next time. There's two significant problems you can run into when having your friends be your playtesters. One is if they don't realize they're playtesting, which it sounds kind of like they didn't really realize they were playtesters. They just right. thought they were playing in your campaign that was ongoing and you were suddenly springing all this stuff on them. Maybe you just didn't communicate that well enough or maybe they Probably. just, maybe they weren't interested yeah. in, in doing that kind of thing. You need to have them on board. Um, or you can run into the opposite problem, which is they're your friend and they're going to tell you encouraging things all the time and never yeah. say something that's going to criticize or potentially hurt your feelings. Yeah. My friends are like <laughs> Um, but you can run into that where you get, yes, I, mean, I completely agree. Yeah. So it's, 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 and it's the rare friend that, uh, will, will constructively criticize something and that you've, that you've worked on and that, you know, d- doesn't feel really self-conscious about it. So it is one of those things you kind of got to look for, you got to look for people who are specifically interested in playtesting. Usually what I do is when I when I run a game at a convention, I usually run a short demo. They get to experience a little bit of the game. And then when it's done, I don't try to spend 15 minutes dragging playtester questions out of them. I ask one or two pointed questions that are based on and it built it, you know, and I based the qu- the questions I ask are based on like what I saw in the game with that session. Like where there was where there was a cool moment in there, and I ask them like, what what did you feel about this cool moment? Was was that is that the kind of thing you'd like to see more in the game? Do you think that would be fun to have that happen a lot? Um, those types of things. And then when you have proper play testers who might be you know playing longer sessions and even campaigns of the game, you can get into like a whole feedback form. You can ask them ten right. ten different questions or something. I think. With with today as well, there are so many other resources. If if I want to add hit locations into fifth edition D and D, there's probably someone else who's already done that. I can probably Google it, go onto one of the forums, go onto Reddit, go into Google Plus community, and ask, "Hey, think about adding hit locations to D and D fifth edition." And four people will go, "Here's what I how I did it." Uh, or conversely, if if you're doing something no one else has done, you can post like, "Hey, I'm thinking about adding hit locations to fifth edition. Critique it for me." Yep. And you can have thousands of people who don't know who the F you are <laughs> read over it. And they, you know, they've probably been playing for a long time. If they're on the community, they're probably pretty passionate about it. And you got to take all, you know, all feedback with a grain of salt. But if, you know, seven out of nine people say this is terrible, maybe it's terrible. You know, you, you got to kill your darling sometimes. But I would definitely encourage anyone who's thinking about hacking. Like Mass Effect is a good example. I know someone who's like, hey, I'm going to create my own system because I love the Mass Effect game world so much. Great. hundred people have already done that. You know, unless you just want to say this is my version, you don't need to do that. Just go online and find someone else and then you can still tweak theirs a little bit. Yeah. And uh, take advantage of the near instant communication we have at our fingertips now, too, with implementation. If you find four different versions of a... Uh, a hit location system, for example, and you want to introduce one into your game group, you know, give each, send an email off with a one paragraph description of each one and say, hey, which one do you think would be most interesting to use in the game? 
vote and have them all come back to you and say, and then like most of the people say, you know, number two. Well, then you try that one out. And, and now you've actually kind of bought, they've bought into the idea of, of trying out a hit location system. Um, they might feel more included in the process. Which helps with the like the whole idea of like, well, I showed up at the game and he suddenly changed everything on me. Well, no, you had a vote. <laughs> you, yeah. you you were involved, and you know, and tell them, in, you know, the vote can be, I don't want to do hit locations at all, ever. Yep. You know, and maybe maybe that's just not the right group to be doing that in, or maybe maybe do uh, like what like we talked about at the beginning of the show, kind of bringing it full circle here. Maybe uh, get just the people who want to try that out sometime and do a one shot. Yeah. With those hacked game, with those hacked pieces of of the system worked in there, and uh, and see what they think about it. Yeah, I do think that again. Now that I have that that outlet, I didn't have before. I didn't didn't know I had before. If I were to start trying to do this, I probably wouldn't do it with my home group as much. I would do a one shot online, or when I go to a convention, and I would put it you know clearly in the description, you know D and D fifth edition with some house rules or some hacks I'm testing out so that people know that they're coming into a game. Cause like you said, people pay for those. I don't want someone showing up thinking they're going to get a fifth edition by the rules. And then I've changed half of it cause I'm screwing around with stuff. So I'm going to tell them I'm doing that. But if you sign up for it, then I feel like you're on board. I'm still going to try to make the game fun, but then I'll ask you. So in this game, we did hit locations and we used a mana point system. What'd you think? You know, and, and kind of develop it that way. Yeah, and there's always a percentage of the gaming population out there, especially when you talk about going to conventions. You've got this large group of people. There's always a percentage in there that love that stuff. You know, when you go to some of the bigger conventions, Gen Con is notable for it. I, I think PAX Unplugged is going to have it. I'm not sure about Origins, but they have like whole room, a whole room dedicated to playtesters where people literally show up. Multiple will, will go in there with their friends for you know, two hours to demo a game that somebody's developing, or a, or a hack to a system, or something that's written for Pathfinder, their home setting, or you know, a fate-based game, or whatever, and they love that stuff. I mean, they seek it out because maybe where they live, they don't have a GM like you who likes to hack systems, or a GM like me who likes to create their games from the ground up, and they'd love to try out that new stuff. It's like, well, when I'm playing with my friends, we play D and D, or we play Star Wars, or we play Savage Worlds. But, you know, now I can go to a convention and I can, I can, you know, wade into the pool of all the other creative, uh, weird stuff that's out there, things that people are tinkering around with. And there's also a, a website called Unpub. I think mm-hmm. it's .com, may not be. And they kind of sponsor events that help people who are playtesting. This is probably more for people who are creating their own games, but you could certainly go to an Unpub event and, you know, do like a one hour short scenario of a role playing game highlighting those changes. Like if you're gonna you wanna do hit locations, maybe it's just a one hour battle or like three battles, one with hit location, one without, and then like you know, have people talk about compare and contrast. There are so many ways available to people now with our communications and, and just the social aspect that you can get people who will have knowledge and be willing to give you feedback for all these little changes. But again, I don't know that you need to go through a rigorous double blind, you know, feedback session to change critical hits from rolling double to maximum plus one. That's just basically the group that you're with. They're either going to say yes or no after it's, you know, when their character gets killed with one shot, they, they might feel differently than when they kill the goblin with one shot. But uh, that's one that was, everyone agreed. They, they all like that. We're good to go. So, uh, you know, it depends on, I guess, what, what your goal is. And there is a point, and that's what happened to me, where I changed so much stuff. I wasn't playing D&D anymore, and I realized that. So I said, okay, well, I'll just make my whole uh, game up completely on my own, which turned out to be a heartbreaker because it was terrible. Um, but there is a point where you're not hacking anymore, you're designing. Uh, so let's, let's move the conversation into that. I know there's still, we could probably talk hours on hacking, but, <laughs> but I, I want to give some time to the design process. So how did that work for you? I mean, and you know, kind of summarize the whole process. How long did you spend developing it? How long did you spend playtesting it? And then what did you go, how did you go about getting this game actually published? Um, okay, just kind of taking you through the like, kind of too long, didn't read version of this. You know, got the initial idea, tinkered around, wrote up the basic rules, and I put it in front of some friends just to see just to see the dice on the table and see if like, okay, does this start, does this have legs? Does this, does this seem like it's, you know, viable to pursue? And, uh, you know, and like I said, I had the, the opposite problem you had when my friend said, oh yeah, this is really cool. <laughs> but I, but I also had the practical experience of looking at the, you know, seeing the, the dice 
and seeing how the system was working saying, okay, that seems like it's all right. And so then I started tinkering and I just kind of rolled along with it. And then I would say probably about six months and, and keep in mind, I'm doing this all in my free time. I've got a day job. So this is just, I'm, you know, fiddling around with it when sure, I had yeah. time after about six months or so, I, I, I put it in front of people at, at a convention. I put it in front of strangers and uh, people seemed to like it. And then I did, you know, I went to a few other little game, you know, small local conventions and game days and put it in front of people and seemed to like, people seemed to like it. And then I finally just said, okay, well, I'm going to really start pushing forward on this. And then uh, that's when I started, you know, the concerted effort of really expanding the game out with murders and acquisitions. It has that core game setting, but then it has all these optional rules. So I started building that, found a few playtest groups to, uh, to play test a little more regularly where they would, you know, I would give the game to them and uh, I wouldn't be there to guide them or to GM for them. They'd have to read the rules, understand the rules, play the game, provide feedback. Um, and then I would say, you know, the, the, the entire development process took, it went from um, when I first started writing, it was August of 2013. It was, it was I want to say about... Uh, it, was, it, was the t- it was the end of 2015 that I wrapped the, the writing proper. You know, so it was a little over two, it was, you know, it was two and a half years of, I would say, of d- development. But that was impeded in part just because I had a hard time finding playtesters and getting things turned over quickly because I was nobody. You know, I was like this guy who's designing a game. Um, the current game is moving faster. I'm flipping, I mean, I'm, I'm flipping playtest rounds like every two months um, because I have an audience from the first game. Of and some of the people said, "Hey, yeah, I want to play test the next game." Um, so it, you know, I with the, with murders and acquisitions, it took time. I, I would have liked to do it faster, but I let it take as long as it needed to take. It was my first time doing it; I didn't want to rush it. About a year out from when, uh, the Kickstarter, which was in May of last year, so about you know May of 2015, I basically laid out um, a one-year plan of everything I needed to do to get to the point of running a Kickstarter, and I'm. I did that because that's the way I am. Um, so I had this all laid out in Word and, you know, just bullet pointed all these different things month by month, everything I needed to do from in- involving design stuff to getting a graphic designer to, to put together a game title, get a, an artist, a couple of artists on board, get a cover made, you know, get, get, get some promotion, some stuff that I can use to show off the look and feel of the game. You know, getting the the stuff that you need for the Kickstarter itself, where I had somebody uh, edited up a, the, the, the Kickstarter video for me. You know, I had a couple of uh, friends slash, you know, some of whom have done some writing before and some who hadn't do, you know, do some of the writing so that it brought a fresh voice to a few things so that I wasn't just, you know, I was I was afraid of repeating myself. I had eight companies I needed to design and I was like, I don't want these to start to sound too similar because they're supposed to be very different backdrops for running games in. So I wrote one as an example and all of the other seven are written by other people. Yeah. Um. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I, a couple other things I had, you know, some people that wrote monsters for the monster section of the book. It's like, okay, come up, tell me, you know, what's, what's a cool monster that you could see in this, in this game. And people came up with things like the empty suit, um, which is like, it's the, it's the game's version of a lich. It's this, this phantom ghostly suit that once belonged to a powerful executive who died and his body, his, his spirit inhabited it. And now it's looking for a new wearer, <laughs> you know, it's looking for somebody yeah. that it can control. Um, you know, just something that I wouldn't have thought of and, you know, built the game that way. And then kind of rolled into, you know, a couple months of getting the Kickstarter together, getting, I put, you know, uh, put the game into editing because that is absolutely imperative for anybody who's planning to write for publication. You can't edit your own work. You simply cannot do it. You are too close to it. Um, You need somebody that's going to tell you, no, this doesn't read well. This is, uh, this is, you know, I can, I can usually pick out the grammar and the spelling, but if, if the, if the rule information didn't flow, I wasn't going to notice it because I know the whole system. My brain fills in the gaps. Kind of like, you know, you know, like you've done it where you can probably, you could read a, a long sentence and there could be a, a clearly a word missing, but you won't notice it because yeah. your brain knows Eng- the English language and you fill in the gaps of what's supposed to be there. Well, and even more related to the, this process, I um, I have a scenario that I run that I'm, I'm a, I love the scenario. It's it's a Scooby Doo dread scenario. <laughs> I love it. And I've ran it several times. Everyone who played it has loved it. And I I basically said once I've ran it enough, I would put the 
basically the scenario on the website so that anyone else could run it, but it kind of gives away some of the, the mystery. I cannot find a way to write that that makes sense. I can run it off the top of my head, yeah. but trying to write it in a way that makes sense to each aspect of how to, how to make it work, it's like, it's insane. Like, I, I don't know how to do it without making it like 40 pages long for a two hour dread scenario. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I cannot do it. I need, I need to just spit it all out and have an editor help me, I guess, because it just, you know, it's, it's in the same thing with the module that we've quote unquote been working on forever. I can tell you how to run it. But me, when I've tried to write out all the things, well, if they go here, this happens. If they go here, this happens. If they go here, this happens. This module that's supposed to take like three hours is like a hundred page novel. I, I cannot concisely get that information. I think that's super important in a rule book because not everyone's going to read 30 pages to find out, oh, you roll two dice and you add them together. Right. And that's a, that there's, you can think of it in terms of this too, is that for anybody out there who might be listening, thinking about, uh, designing their own thing and maybe publishing a little something. There's there's partnering. There's collaboration as well. You might be someone. I mean, I, I literally, I know it's a person around here that I have talked to a few times about game design stuff. He is an idea guy. He loves to come up with the flavor, the fluff, the the, 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 the cool narrative stuff. He can come up with really imaginative stuff, but he is no good with rules. Admittedly, he admits this, this himself. His partner can come up with the coolest rule systems, really interesting ideas. And he can take this narrative that this guy gives to him and says, I want a game that, you know, kind of describes these types of things. And this is the play experience. And this is, I'd like there to be, you know, this basic kind of a cool, this, this cool, this one cool factor I want to have in the, in the, the mechanics. And the guy will work something out for it. Um, so, you know, maybe if you've got all the ideas in your head and you can't, you just can't communicate them, maybe you need to find somebody who's really good at communicating them and just sit down with them for what you said, three hours of just blah yeah. and let them take <laughs> notes and then ask you questions a little bit later. And maybe they can crunch it out in five, six, seven pages. Yeah. So I have this, I don't know if it's weird or not, but I, I'm the type of person that I can't do it myself, but if you show me what you've got, I can help you make it better. Like, I can tell you, like, this doesn't exactly work. Maybe try this. But I, from the ground up, I can't get to that point where I can then critique it and make it better. So I don't know where I fit in the process. But if you have something that you think is close, I might be able to help you get it to that next step. <laughs> there you go. That's That sounds an awful lot like a good a good technical editor. Yeah. Okay, so we're, we're getting close here. We need to move into the next section. Again, there's, sure. there's tons more that we could talk about hacking. There's tons more we could talk about the actual act of publishing through a Kickstarter. I'm sure other podcasts have done that. I know we did an episode with MPC Chris a while back where we uh, deep dove into game manufacturing, not RPGs, but like an actual board game. And he covered a lot of in-depth things about working with different manufacturers and that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in, in maybe going into a Kickstarter, that would be a good episode. Craig, can people reach out to you if they have questions? Would you be willing to help guide some people if they have uh they're a little lost in the woods? Uh, a little bit, sure, if you want. I mean, I answer a lot of, I talk a lot about what I've designed. If you go back and just dig back through blog posts on the stuff that I've designed, if you're just interested in seeing an example of the things that people, somebody went through, um, all the way back, I started blogging the, like the month that I started writing murders and acquisitions. I kept, a, oh. I've, I've had a record going of all sorts of things that I've done, uh, that have been, as I've been working on them. Um, and I've been on a, you know, an episode here and there. I think I, I think I probably talked a fair bit about, um, getting to the Kickstarter point with you guys when I was on yep. the show for the Kickstarter. Um, you can also go, uh, if we can cross promote, um, sure. you can, you, you know, you can hear quite a bit about what I've done from there's a, a gamer to gamer podcast, um, that was part, or it still is part of the Tome Show Network that, uh, James Intracasso, you know, James, yep. um, uh, he interviewed me and we went through all sorts of stuff there. If you go look that up there, you know, I, he interviewed me for that. We talked a lot about, uh, you know, kind of how the game came to be, um, as well as just the whole process of getting to the point of, of creating a game. Um, if you want, if you want to fire a question to me, you can uh, fire off to nerdburgergames at gmail.com. Reach out into the internet. There's plenty, there's all sorts of, uh, opportunities out there. There's, you know, there's, there's, there's networks of, independent game developers and designers who have their, you know, they have, they have organizations, they have, you know, there's forums, there's groups, there's, there's, you, you don't really, if you've got a, if you've got a laptop and an interconnect connection, you know, you don't have an excuse anymore for not being able to find somebody to bounce an idea off of. Right. Um, reach out there, they're out there. 
Yeah, post an opinion on the internet. See how that goes. <laughs> well, and that's why you, you try to that's why you try to look for an organization that's a little more pointed and focused and isn't filled with trolls. Yes. Or people that just want to, you know, just make fun of you or do something, you know. Just be spiteful. Or, or just accidentally, just like, you know, you, people, not everybody that sidetracks a thread is a troll. Sometimes they're just somebody that sidetracked a thread by accident. Yep. All right. So, uh, oh, well, actually, you mentioned the blog post. So would that be at nerdburgergames.com? Yes. Okay. And then is there like a title that they could search for? Are they all like, you know, this, this episode one type of thing uh, there's a blog page and then you can just scroll back through it it's just it, you know it's just a constant scroll of page and there's even a little link on the on the right side there that will take you to new newworldalchemy.com which is where i started blogging on a friend site before i set up nerdburger games okay. um and that's like, like if you go back to the newworldalchemy.com and and search for me on there um that's the very early stuff for murders and acquisitions where the blog posts were very much about like the, the the nuts and bolts of what I was changing as I was doing stuff because I didn't have Kickstarters and promotion and all that stuff to talk about. I didn't have three different games in the works. I had one thing that I was designing. That's all I talked about. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experiences. Please, anyone listening, go check out Murders and Acquisitions. Again, you can find uh, the rule sets, the downsized version and the full version on DriveThruRPG. I will put links in our show notes so that you can get directly to those. Uh, come to a catacon. We have a couple of copies of the book we're going to give away, and I think we're going to try to work out maybe run in a session or two as well. Can't Ooh. promise that yet, but we're going to try to make that happen. Um, and then follow uh, Craig on his social media as well as his podcasts, um, and you know, go back and read his design process. Maybe it will help with yours. But we're not done yet. Uh, the last thing we're going to do today is our new student introductions, and this is where we take a class and a background from D&D 5th edition, kind of mush them together and see what kind of interesting concepts that we can come up with. They don't have to be mechanically tied to D&D 5th edition, but that's where we take them from. Uh, they can really be for any system or any setting. And today's uh, mixture is the ranger class with the entertainer background. So, Craig, you're the guest. Do you want to go first or would you like me to throw out some ideas? <laughs> um, why don't you uh, dazzle me? I'm going to put you on the spot. I don't don't know about that. Throw uh, an idea out there. But the the two that came to mind first uh, is uh, like a circus. You have, you know, this traveling group that go from place to place. They go to different lands and they find these exotic animals. And perhaps the ranger would be involved with, you know, navigating them through dangerous places to get to the next town over, maybe navigating through a dangerous area because they've heard legend that there's this, you know, hydro sphinx uh, that lives in this swamp or whatever. And they want the ranger to go in and find it and capture it so they can put it into their menagerie. Uh, and then also magicians. I know um, it's very common for the magicians to say, you know, I had to go to the farthest reaches of the Himalayan mountains to find this you know, person that knows how to do this trick. And then they do a thing that's, you know, it's fake. But but they sell the fact that they've gone to all these places. Maybe there's something to that from from again, from the ranger standpoint where they did have to go to these crazy far off exotic places. And they went there for another reason. It could be, again, for entertainment purposes, maybe to learn card magic or, or sleight of hand magic or any other sort of skill, but they had to get there and in getting there, they learned to be a ranger. So you have the idea they were a ranger first or they were a ranger because they had to do the thing to get to the other thing. Mm-hmm. So what about you? what did you come up with? Well, that, that, uh, the, the circus thing also, you know, makes me think of like the, the animal tamer. Yeah. Especially when you've got a ranger that can, you know, speak to animals, calm animals. Um, so you, know, you can integrate that as well. Uh, an idea I had was uh, essentially the the Pied Piper. Oh, you know the the, the woodsy folkman who uh, goes around and kind of helps people out with their animal problems, and but does it in a nice friendly. Now, not not the Pied Piper that leads the children off at the end because he doesn't get paid <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. unless you're playing. Well, that, children are animals. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless you're playing that kind of a campaign. Um, but you know, that could be one of his little, you know, one of the things they always talk about in the game is like, well, you know, what do your characters do during their downtime? Do they have like little jobs and things that they do? And Rangers invariably, the players will say, well, you know, I take people on hunting expeditions and da, 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 da. And it's like, well, why can't they go to the little hamlet that has like an infestation and wants to get rid of these animal, you know, get, get rid of these little critters, the Pied, the Pied Piper Ranger goes in there, charms everybody into, into, uh, it's a little bit of a, you know, He's a little bit of a shyster, you know, he's a little bit right. of a, a salesman. 
who convinces them that he can take care of their problem for a nominal fee and uh and then goes and uh, uh uses like some sort of uh charming abilities um or you know speak with animals or so forth to convince the leader of the whatever critter it is they're trying to deal with to leave and go go here out and, and maybe even goes and helps them find a, a more suitable habitat and and uh it doesn't involve like the the villagers having to do a lot of uh, critter killing which the ranger right. may not prefer yeah cruelty like free uh animal control type of a thing sure yeah, I, I do like that. Um, I almost think I think like gentle Ben in a way, you know. Sure. Because like, in fifth edition, it's weird. Dru- druids are the ones who you think of are like you know animals, but they really they turn into them. Rangers are the more the ones that actually get like a companion. So it would make sense for a ranger to be able to go into an area with a wild animal like a tiger or a panther or a bear, and then do something fun with it, entertain the crowds, entertain the kids. Uh, that definitely makes a lot of sense to me. I think that could be a lot of fun to do from the standpoint of, you know, traditionally you think of the ranger and the druid as the ones who are like, screw that, I'm not going into the city. You know, <laughs> I'm going to stay out here, I'm going to sleep in the woods with my bear and turn that on their head and be like, no, let's go have a party. You know, and you have your bear juggling through the streets right, right <laughs> in a unicycle or something. Uh, you know, it also could be great for providing a distraction for the rogue to do a thing that they have to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Did you have any uh, any other ideas that popped in your head? Another one that I, I'm actually kind of enamored of and makes me want to play a ranger um, in the near future here <laughs> is I, I, well, I just started looking at like, you know, what the ranger does, right? And, okay, so an entertainer entertains in some way. With what does the ranger do? And I was, I, I you know, was looking through the spell list, and you've got your your calm animals, which has kind of worked into the Pied Piper thing. But you've also got speak to animals, and like, it's like, okay, well, like, let me think, let me think about how I've seen that play at the table. Well, usually in in games that I've played in, you like, you know, the ranger goes to talk to the bunny rabbit, and the GM they role play a little conversation, and the GM talks for the bunny rabbit like a bunny rabbit, and the bunny rabbit talks about bunny rabbit things and yep. talks about everything from the bunny rabbit point of view. So that's not a, you know, a terribly good way for a bunny rabbit to tell you stuff. You usually, you know, oftentimes it's a fun little moment for the player to kind of have to decipher what the bunny's talking about. Right. But it becomes a question of like, well, these animals can talk. They have stories to tell. Why can't the ranger be like what I've dubbed the singer of the wild? Where ah. rather than telling the stories of the brave adventurers or of the knights or of the kings or of this or that, they tell the stories of like the interesting things that have happened out there, right there in the world, right on your back porch where these, uh, you know, the, the stories of the animals, um, because, you know, the little bunny rabbit can only talk in bunny rabbit terms, but the ranger can compose a wonderful song and play a lute and, uh, you know, tell the story of the mass migration and how it saved the population of bunny rabbits. And, you know, this is one of those things that, you know, for people that like to play characters that interact with children um, a lot, that's, you know, what what's going to please the little kid population of the town more than a fun story about uh, the woodland creatures and how they overcame some sort of adversity. Yeah, I think that's uh I think that's a really cool idea. In my cuz my head I'm having a hard time separating the fact that the ranger can understand them but that the you know the people there can't the ranger has to translate for them. But I could see like a funny scene it's almost like an orchestra. You got like birds and chipmunks and monkeys and and then you know uh, the ranger's like almost like doing like a conductor and they're <laughs> they're, they're making noises. But it makes like a a song or you know uh, or uh, um, soundtrack I guess not really a song because they're not vocalized but just the the sounds make a, like a, a song in a way. Well, is it, it could be a, am I am I screwing up the which one this is? Is is it Peter and the Wolf? Is that the it's 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 a story that's told? I'm just, maybe that's not right. But there's a story that it, you tell. It's a story that's told. And then there's like an orchestra behind it, and the orchestra plays effectively the sound effects that augment the story. Oh, um, so you could have, you know, if, if the ranger wants to go so far as to compose his little animal orchestra, he has these animals that are making their noises that are appropriate to particular moments in the stories, um, you know. And so it, it all starts off all happy and wonderful, and the birds are singing, and then the bad thing happens, and the bunnies, you know, well, I guess bunnies don't make noises, but let's say, you know, the uh, the wolves roll in, so the wolves howl, and then, you know, it goes back and forth, and the story goes along, and all of a sudden you get to the end, and, and everybody lived happily ever after, and all the birds are singing again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you add special, or sound effects like a podcast, you know, you got the wolves howling in the distance, and the bears growling, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I know I've ran scenarios multiple times where the players have basically you know, cajoled their way into either into an existing like circus or pretending to make their own as a distraction. Like I've, I've probably had that happen a dozen times, you know, where the, everyone's like, well, I am a bard, I can sing, or I'm a, you know, rogue, I can do knife tricks. 
there's no reason why the ranger couldn't do the same thing and, you know, just do like an animal tamer, tamer act or again, the bear on the unicycle type of thing. <laughs> I just think that would be a cool way. Cause I, I wouldn't have thought of that otherwise. Like when you're going through like, what can each character contribute? You know, the gnome could do some illusions. The fighter can you know be the strong man or, you know, barbarian, but the rangers sort of left out a little bit. Maybe if they're like an archer ranger, you could do some you know archery tricks, but I like the idea of, of bringing your animals into it instead. I think that would make a, a much better scene with the potential for good or bad things to happen. I just looked it up. Yeah. It's Peter and the wolf. It's a, uh, they described here as a symphonic fairy tale for children, a musical composition. Uh, the narrator tells a children's story while the orchestrator, uh, the orchestra illustrates it in sound. Nope. I think that is very, very cool. Awesome. Well, Craig, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Uh, congratulations on the success of your, your game. Are you working on anything new? Are we going to have something new coming from you soon? Yep. I'm well into development on a new role playing game. It's called Capers. It's a sort of supers game, uh, of G-Men and gangsters in 1920s Prohibition America. So Tommy guns and I-beams and all sorts of, uh, all sorts of fun. It, it's, it's well into playtesting. I've had groups playtesting it ongoing, but they've seen the thing develop. They've seen the thing evolve. They've started to do what I do, which is fill in the gaps. What mm-hmm. I'm, for the next round of playtesting, I'm looking for a handful of brand new playtesters to just, if, if nothing else, do a one shot so that they can, I can have somebody take a look at the entire the entirety of the game as it is right now and tell me there's a giant gaping hole here. Right. You know, there's information that's not described. So if you're interested in trying out the game um, sometime in the next month or so, I'll be getting playtest information out. You can email me at nerdburgergames at gmail.com. Excellent. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that and maybe a trial of it in the future. Um, I'm sure I'll be uh, poking at you guys sometimes down the road when, when, <laughs> when the Kickstarter is coming along, maybe, maybe a show and tell. We'll see. Yep. That would be fantastic. So once again, Craig, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your expertise. Again, people go check out his stuff, find him on social media, say hi, interact with him uh, and go listen to his show. It's a lot of fun. So until next time, wait, we're not done yet. I almost forgot. We have new reviews and more importantly, or maybe most importantly, we have our hundredth iTunes review on the USA iTunes chart that popped in. And I absolutely want to read those. Um, And then we also have a new patron. So we'll start with that. Our newest patron since the last time we gathered is James Sweetland. James, thank you so much for pledging your support to our show and helping us do bigger and better things. It is very much appreciated. And now on to the reviews. So our first review is uh, from the UK. It is, If You're Having Fun, You're Doing It Right by Calum from the Released Podcast which is a member of the RPG Academy Network, but we'll still take the review anyways. So, Calum says, This show provides excellent GMing advice without being full of itself. I really enjoy its motto. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. While being engaging and RPG literate, the hosts sincerely take care not to be preachy and to remain positive. It is also quite cool that the show includes different kinds of episodes. Synergy, where guests are invited to make up an adventure idea based on randomly drawn cards, Faculty Meeting, where the best advice can be found, show and tell, where game designers are invited to present their projects, and much more. Thank you, Calum. I really appreciate you writing us a review. And next, we have two USA iTunes. The first is from Zipperon Disney. Easily one of the best RPG podcasts out there. They handle a variety of topics, and the hosts offer differing viewpoints to really increase your understanding of mechanics, narrative, and the history of the game. Can't recommend enough. Thank you, Zipperon. I appreciate that. And lastly, we have Love This Show, five stars from Sir Schmucks. This show got me back into gaming and moreover gave me the confidence to start DMing. I especially love the detention, faculty meeting, and synergy shows. I really like the last segment of those shows because they take a character, class, or monster trope and turn it on its head and show listeners a new way to think about a facet of gaming. Well, thank you very much, Sir Schmucks. We really appreciate you and Zipperon and Calum taking the time to write us a review. It really helps a lot and it just makes us feel good. So thanks and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. 
If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.